HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market. A New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, September 30th. This is the 80th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, we're talking meat with my guest from a family-run ground beef purveyor. But before I introduce him, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game. We're doing a special all-in-the-industry, on-the-road segment from Newport Mansion's Wine and Food Festival. Then we'll have my solo dining experience and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to practice tradition. Follow customs that have been set before us by previous generations and retell their stories. By carrying on what our elders taught, we will keep their spirit alive. So believe in tradition. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really happy to have my guest here. It is Jamie Schwede, Executive Vice President of Schwede & Sons, a fourth-generation meat purveyor, specifically of burgers. Located in, in Karlstadt, New Jersey, Schwede & Sons' mission is to bring the very best burger to customers by offering a range of high-quality ground beef blends and products. So welcome, Jamie. Thank you very much for allowing me to be here. Well, Happy to have you out here and to talk meat and burgers. So I'm wondering that if you always thought you'd get into your family business or not. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> growing up uh, in the Schweid household, and sorry, it's Schweid. Oh, it's Schweid. It's okay. Sorry, nobody Should've asked you pre-show. Nobody gets it right. Um, you know, my father created an environment where he wanted us to explore different options, different opportunities within our life. And 
burgers was certainly an option, but it was not something that was at the forefront. And so my brother, he worked on Wall Street for 10 years. Uh, I graduated with a finance degree, but as fate would have it, uh, I graduated right after 9-11. So uh, there weren't many job opportunities in the finance world. My dad asked me to come and work for him and said, you can't sleep on the couch anymore. You got to actually do something with your day. Uh, So I came into work uh, the week probably before uh, September 11th and started working there. And about two months later, I said, Dad, I think I want to do this. Really? What was it that you loved about it? I love the the independence of working within um, your own business. Uh, I loved working with my father. And at that point, I loved sales. I loved being around people, talking to people, and really expressing uh, what we do and how we do it. And the most important thing is we just have a a great burger. And it makes my job much easier to have a a great burger to sell. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's go back in in the history of your family's business. When was it founded? Because fourth generation, you've been around a, a while. Yes, the, the Schweids and, and beef have, uh, have been synonymous together for over 100 years now. Um, to the history is my great-grandfather immigrated from Eastern Europe, and his trade when he came to this country was being a butcher. So he set up a, a local butcher shop on, on the Lower East Side, uh, was a butcher in the neighborhood. Um, and then my grandfather, um, in his footsteps, actually took it a step uh took it one more step above and he opened a basically a, a fabricator so he would take in what you used to see in the meatpacking district hindquarters and forequarters fabricate and sell them to restaurants uh, within the new york city area uh, my father when he graduated from college he actually went into the business and he moved to york nebraska for a couple years and uh, my grandfather teamed up with Walbaums, who unfortunately is uh, okay. is no longer uh, and they opened a a um, a harvest facility and my father at 23 years old was working out there uh, and then in 1978 my, my father branched off and uh, opened a ground beef company in on Gansevoort Street in the meatpacking meat district. Meat packing district. Yes. So uh, that's where, and I'm, and actually our generation, my brother and I are the first generation to actually take the business from uh, the generation above. So we have the most pressure. It, it was a different business each time. So my, my father decided to branch off into, into just burgers. When? When did? 1978. Oh, in 78. Yeah. Okay. And then when did you move from meatpacking to New Jersey? So in the, in the mid-90s, uh, my father started to look at facilities outside of, the New, York, of New York City. And the, the irony of, of his decision is if he'd have just purchased the real estate in the meatpacking district, we would not be here having this conversation. <laughs> I'd be in the real estate business. <laughs> um, and, you know, it would be a much different story. So he decided in the mid-90s, what happened was is our customers uh, had changed and we'd be, uh, started dealing with uh, bigger corporations who had uh, more stringent requirements for quality assurance. And these older buildings just couldn't support uh, the quality assurance that, that these companies demanded. So it required us to move out to, uh, to Jersey. Got it. Now, what's your role, or and how has your role changed since you started after 9-11? Well, the interesting part is when you start working in a family business, there's so many avenues you can go down, right? Because it's what you're interested in. But my father took a very different approach and just said, shadow me. You know, walk every day when, when you get to the office. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to talk to you about what's going on, have you in all the meetings, and really choose what path that you think you're most interested in. So when I first started out... Um, for the first year, I, I just 
did you know I did a little bit of everything, nothing of any cir- of <laughs> any circumstance, but uh, just doing little things around the office, learning and understanding the business. And then after the first year, uh, I decided sales was something that I wanted to be involved in, and uh, he gave me my own territory up in New England. And then from there, uh, you know, we, we started to grow the business. My brother came aboard about uh, seven, eight years ago. Uh, he works in production. So uh, I have another passion, which is technology and, and IT so, uh, and marketing as well, which goes hand in hand. So my roles evolved from just purely sales to now sales, marketing, IT, and, um, and other great things, which uh, when you work for a family business, if you're interested in something, the answer usually is, eh, go with it. <laughs> if that's what you want to do, go with it. So uh, those three things are really at the core of what I do. What are the challenges of working in a family business? I mean, is it... The show is too short for us to discuss. <laughs> no. um, it, you know, it, the challenges of, of any business, right, are, you know, innovation, working together, um, you know, finding the next great thing. And then think of, take all of that and now add the family element. So, you know, it's, it's different personalities, it's, it's, it's different interests, but luckily for us, uh, my brother's interest is more um, you know, in the office, in production. I enjoy traveling, I enjoy getting out, meeting people on the sales end of it, and uh, so th- there's a real good separation. But, you know, just like every uh, family business, you know, uh, you, you sit with your, your brother, your father all day, and then at the end of the day, you go home and you have dinner with them, so... Uh, well, <laughs> My dad said this to me once. He said, you know, what you do in the office, right, and what you argue about and what you talk about um, is for the office. It's not for, for, for the house. So when, you go, you know, when I first started, I'd go home and I'd have dinner, uh, and my dad and I, uh, you know, during dinner, would be talking about business, and my mom would say, look, this is enough. I don't want to hear this anymore. And so the, she was the one that implemented the rule, which is, look, we don't talk about business at the dinner table. Even if you're having burgers. <laughs> Even if we're having burgers, which is very tough. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Okay, so let's talk about burgers. Now, you have a lot of different blends. What makes them unique? What do you sell the most? Why? I mean, there I, on your website, it looked like there were about a dozen different varieties. Yeah, that, that's what we, uh, we sell now to our, our restaurant operators that are the larger volume. Uh, we also have uh, some of those... Uh, burgers in in retail as well but you know what we've and, and we'll talk about a little more the blends but we also make custom blends for for different restaurants as well that's that, n- that's not on the website so yeah well that's become a thing it is i, <laughs> I, I, I think it's great you know what we've what we've found out is you know i'm not the driver of innovation uh you know our business isn't it's the chefs right they're 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 the stars they're the culinary innovators. I mean, we know the flavor profiles of these different cuts of beef, and you know we'll certainly play around with different ratios and different percentages. But where our innovation comes is sitting down with our partner chefs and and developing products together. And so, our, you know, our most popular blend is, has been what my father first created uh, forty years ago, which is what we call the butcher's blend. Um, it's Chuck. Um, it's round, it's sirloin, and you know it's something that uh, he's always loved. And you know we've started to incorporate hanger beef, which is very interesting because my grandfather used to bring hanger home to my uh, to my aunt and my father and grandmother, and uh, you know it was it was something of a sort of a throwaway. Nobody really wanted hanger. Now hanger steak has become so popular. Hanger and ground beef, it's actually a, a scarce uh, scarce cut of beef. So it's just interesting what 
what the industry has done is, you know, they've taken flavorful cuts of beef that for the most part have been thrown into ground beef. And I think a lot of it has had to do with the price of different cuts. And they've, they've moved them to the forefront and, and really been able to showcase the flavor. So that's a big product. We sell a signature series Chuck Brisket, which is our most popular, um, second most popular blend. Uh, we sell them in about 3,500 supermarkets as well as to our food service customers as well. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, the difference between selling in retail and to consumers versus what you're supplying restaurants, what's, what's the difference or what's most popular? Is it, is it totally different? So what I found is that my opinion means nothing to, <laughs> to what? <laughs> means something here. Well, no, no, I'm saying it means something here, but when it, you know, I'll sit down with a customer and say, oh, what's the most popular burger that you sell or what's been, um, you know, what's been a bestseller? And I say, guys. I'm stunned every time. So, um, you know, on the on the supermarket side, I thought that our prime burger that we sell, uh, it's my favorite burger. It's it's a whole muscle chuck, um, obviously with prime grated beef, uh, was going to be the biggest seller in retail, hands down. It's prime beef. It's chuck, sorely mistaken. The the signature series chuck brisket has been a, a phenomenal success because the consumer is educated on brisket. They understand what brisket is. They eat it at barbecue. They know the flavor profile. And, and I think that there's a bit of a disconnect between the grading system. So select, choice, and prime. Industry people uh, are very educated on that. But I don't think that the consumers are. And I think they're more focused on you know, whether you hear grass-fed, whether you hear chuck brisket. Uh, th- those, t- those terms are much, more, um, are much more frequently heard by the, the consumer. And... Your your beef you use it's all USDA prime. Uh, it, it's not. So we use different uh, different cuts of beef depending on the the blend and also different grades. So um, prime beef is is one of the products we um, or, or one of the grades we use. We have a lot of USDA choice that we use as well. Um, but mostly, what's driven in ground beef is a little different than steaks. So steaks is more prime and choice, uh, where in ground beef it's more or less the the cuts um, and the type of of cow, so we only use steer and heifer and bulls, which are, uh, or I like to call the the beef cows, right? So you have dairy cows and you have beef cows, and there's a big separation in the industry. You know, we don't get involved in that world. We're focused on 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 really bringing in the the best quality raw materials and, and cuts of beef that that we can. Um, you know, that we can use and get our hands on. And where is your beef coming from? So it's mostly coming from um, the the Midwest and, and sort of um, eastern part of Pennsylvania and, and those areas. So we have, uh, my dad's been in the business, you know, for actually 50 years, geez. Uh, and, and he's created some really long-term relationships. And what we found is we're, we like to buy from who we buy from. And sure, we're open to different, uh, open to different programs and, and, and different uh, harvesting houses, but we're really consistent in who we buy from because for us, our customers know and, and they, they immediately identify uh, an issue or if there's a problem. And it's always been something that we've been very, uh, very conscious of. Great. Okay. We're going to take a little break here. So everyone out there, stay with us. This is Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
you want it When you get up in the morning Cause it won't be long Before you're dead and gone No, there ain't no telling Yeah, we all just bet Just playing our hands Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Okay, we are back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Jamie Schweid, Executive Vice President of Schweid & Sons. We're talking meat. We're talking burgers. Let me go into my question from from last week. I had on Brett Trossi, the Chief Operating Officer of the Dynex Group. I asked him to ask you a question. So he wants to know, why does the price of beef keep going up? Why can't they raise more cattle? I have some good news for him. <laughs> uh, in the in the long term, the short term is uh, the prices actually have come down over the last three or four months, uh, with a lot to doing with supply and demand. So there there is a continued supply issue in this country um, on cattle, and that a lot of it has to do with drought. So in 2012, uh, we had just massive droughts throughout the Midwest, and what was happening is uh, the calf cow. Uh, producers, the, the ranchers weren't produce. They had to move their cattle to to the feedlots quicker because there wasn't enough grass. And when it gets cold, they can't put weight on fast enough. Uh, in addition, uh, during the economic downturn, um, there there were there was a, a lack of money available to these calf cow producers to actually raise more uh, cattle. And then another crazy factor is this ethanol and grain. I mean, they you know, the rancher on the farm had two three dollar grain costs that went up to eight nine dollars and that that's increasing the cost of raising that animal significantly so all of those factors uh unfortunately led the calf cow producer to lose money on these head of cattle so what they did was is they basically started to 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 stop producing or stop mating so you have the heifer and the steer and i'm going to get a little too specific here but uh, there's something called the heifer retention rate and so that's what we look at uh, to see if the cattle um, has expanded. So right now the heifer retention has declined to somewhere in the 30% area, uh, down from 34% about two years ago, which is great. That means that the the ranchers are holding back the heifers, which means they're uh, birthing more cattle. So we're going to see this, and this started about a year and a half ago. We're going to start to see a ton more cattle in April of May of next year uh, coming to the um, you know coming to the supply chain. So you're going to start to see beef prices subside. Uh, and I think the other aspect of these these high prices, um, you know, have been along with this lack of supply, is the fact that demand for beef continues to grow. Right. Uh, in this country, which is an oddity because uh, it seems like uh, most of the uh, the country writes articles about the decline of the beef industry. Well, that's interesting you bring it up because there's also been a rise in vegetarian cuisine and veggies have become very popular and more trending, but I think people still like their meat. The, there's a, uh, a comment I always make is you have the vocal minority 
which I think the the the, the vegetarian movement I think is great because it provides healthier food. Um, but I think it's not necessarily about being a vegetarian. It's about transparency within the supply chain. It's about bringing healthier options to the consumer. And um, you know, if you look outside of our bubble of New York City, and this is something that I talk to my finance friends all about. You know, one percent of this country is in agriculture. And if I ask my New York City friends how many people they know that are in agriculture, it's zero. And yeah. so there, there's 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 less sympathy for the agriculture business in some of what I like to call the urban markets, where you know if you look in someone in Omaha, they're much less sympathetic to the finance uh, issues that, that occur in this world as opposed to me who knows many people. So right. I think it's it's an interesting movement um, that we're seeing out here with this healthier food, and I think it's phenomenal. And uh, the 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 supply chain of our food is getting better and better every day. And it's, and it's exciting to be in the business. It is. And you're right. The New York City bubble. <laughs> <laughs> so in that bubble, though, well, custom blends you're doing for chefs and restaurants. Yeah. Are, are Who are some of your clients? Are the, Is it? Is it New York City? Is it beyond? So it's it's beyond. I mean, New York City obviously is is a core market for us, but our reach extends throughout the whole country. So we have, um, you know, we have restaurants that we sell all across um, all across this, uh, the East Coast and the West Coast. A little void in, in the Midwest. So you know, we have some great clients in Boston. A company called Tasty Burger, which we do some blends for. Uh, there's a great food truck that we're supporting here locally. Um, called uh, Hard Time Sunday, Andrew Zerka. He is well. I just had dinner the other night with Sarah Ventiera, who wrote about that in an article for the Food Network, and we were talking about it because I hadn't heard of it until this conversation. Because I told her you were coming on my show, and so now I'm dying to try this burger. <laughs> it, it's it's simple and and incredible. It, it, there's there's nothing within that burger that hasn't been done before. The execution is absolutely delicious. We actually just we're having him come to the office and cook for all of our um, all of our employees. I think in about a week or two, and I couldn't be more excited because I might have consumed more burgers off that truck uh, than anyone else. Um, but you know that you know we're you know for us we love to support that local independent restaurant tour. And he had a restaurant about three two or three years ago that I think Superstorm Sandy. There was a flood in the restaurant. And he was unable to open it, and he's sort of building his business back up from the ground up, and uh, just a just a great guy. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to checking that out. Another thing I saw in an article of yours on the face method way of <laughs> testing the temperature of burgers. Can you explain that? Because I thought it was really cool. Sure, I am not a very good chef, uh, to say the least, but I can make I can barbecue and I can cook burgers. And what I found is, is when, I, when I'm talking with my friends, they're always concerned about the doneness of the burger. And I, I'm a bit of a burger snob when it comes to cooking, where medium rare is, is what I've grown up on, and uh, that's what I like to eat. So they asked me uh, a method, and I was talking to a French culinary trained chef, and I said, you know, what, what's a good way to communicate and talk to, to my friends? He goes, very simple. It's the face. And you know, he walked me through the cheek, which is medium rare, the chin, which is medium, and the uh, forehead, which is is well done. And I was like, "Wow, that is the simplest, easiest way to to remember, uh, you know, a burger uh, being cooked, and, and to what degree or to what doneness." 
I read that. I thought it was so cool. I will never forget that. <laughs> Testing burgers. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up was, so you there's a Back to the Future event coming up. I heard you're a fan. I am a small fan of, of, the, of this genre of movies. So, uh, I, I, yes. Um, growing up, uh, I, I was a, I'm a, and I still am a big pop culture fan, big movie fan. And for some reason, me and millions of other people have, have come to love this, this movie, Back to the Future. And uh, a buddy of mine, actually, uh, for my uh, birthday that I had a couple years back, I did an 80s-themed birthday. And I dressed up as Marty McFly. My friend dressed up as Doc Brown. And, you know, we're, we're sitting in a meeting with, uh, with some, of, some of our marketing team. And I made a joke that, hey, does everyone know the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future? Uh, you know, the date when Marty goes back in time is coming up. And they're like, yeah, of co- course we know. They were being sarcastic. <laughs> and so uh, they pitched to me this idea about doing a, an event, Burgers in Time. So taking burgers from you know the 1955, which is when Marty goes back into time and uh, gets to hang out with his parents, all the way up to uh, the f- 2015, where Marty goes into the future um, and gets to see his uh, his family. So we thought it would be a really cool idea to team up with the Ainsworth, uh, who's been a real good partner with us. Um, and next, I think it's next it's the Wednesday. The 14th. Yes, October 14th. Got to work on my plugs. October 14th at the Park Ainsworth. Uh, we so we're walking. We have different burgers through time that uh, that Ainsworth Park or the Ainsworth has come up with, and we're just really excited. And in addition, which I think is very cool, uh, about six seven years ago, um, to benefit Parkinson's disease, which obviously Michael J. Fox has, he was able to work with Nike and create this the shoes that had auto laces. They really don't, but they're the, the same <laughs> shoe. And uh, I was dumb enough or smart enough, I guess, to purchase those sneakers. And uh, they will be worn at the event for uh, uh, next Wednesday. So I'm really excited to break those sneakers out for, for a second run. Second and only. It sounds really fun. I'm, I'm planning to go and try some of these burgers. So, Well, well most importantly, the bur- I'm there for the burgers as well. I mean, and, sure- and to check out the shoes. Sure. I mean, sure, we're going to have Back <laughs> to the Future playing throughout the whole restaurant but you know it's all about the burgers yeah exactly and on that note we're gonna take another break here we're gonna come back we're gonna do my speed round game and i'm gonna tell you all about newport mansions wine and food festival so stay with us this is on the industry on heritage radio network please don't give none away let it get sweeter by the day oh won't you save it baby won't you save it oh won't you save it all for me Still paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute anything a dollar two dollars ten dollars a hundred dollars a thousand dollars anything counts and trust me we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations so consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org click on that little beating heart the donate button and show us you care thanks for listening i hope you enjoy the rest of the show 
Hi, we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Jamie Schweid. I got it right, Schweid? Yes, you did. I'm like paranoid now. <laughs> Executive Vice President of Schweid & Sons. So it is time for the speed round game. What this is, is I'm going to name two or more things, and you just pick your preference. So here we go. All righty. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Rare, medium, or well done, or any combo? You sort of answered this. Medium rare. Medium rare. I'm medium (laughs) rare, too. How about French fries or sweet potato fries? French fries. My brother's a sweet potato fry guy. Good to know. (laughs) Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate, unfortunately. (laughs) Manhattan or Brooklyn or New Jersey? I can... Carlstadt. Well, I live in Manhattan, so uh, Manhattan, but I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan, so I'm going to go Manhattan, Brooklyn, New Jersey. Awesome. You're great at this game. Very quick. You know what you like. Okay, so we're not going to do industry news today. Instead, I have a special on-the-road segment from Newport Mansion's Wine and Food Festival. So this past weekend, I ventured to Newport, Rhode Island to attend this wonderful festival, which was celebrating its 10th anniversary. The events included Wine and Rosecliff, Grand Tastings, and Newport After Dark. Here I am reporting from the Grand Tastings at the Marble House Mansion. Hi, I'm here with Marissa Ain of Plate and Decanter at the Newport Mansions Wine and Food Festival. And first of all, I'm so excited to be here and thank you because you're the reason I'm here. So this oh, is thank you for coming. We're so glad to have you. You know, make the trip from New York up to Newport. It's not that far. It's not. This is my first time in Newport. It's so lovely. We're standing here with a view of the water. <laughs> it's quite the setting. So how long have you been working on this Newport? festival. Uh, This is my fourth year producing the festival, but we're celebrating the festival's 10th annual this year. And what exactly is your your role? Like, how... how like how do you make this happen? <laughs> uh, I have a great team behind me, and I've had amazing people throughout the years support that. Uh, so my role as executive producer is to help with the overall uh, logistics and operations uh, to get all of these fantastic uh, artisanal purveyors, restaurants, chefs, um, you know, some of our uh, sponsors, and get them involved, get them organized, and uh, excited to showcase what they do best with our guests. Now we have to talk about the venues because. I've now had a tour of the mansions of Newport through the Food and Wine Festival. So how have you how did you manage to book these these venues? So what's great about this festival, all of the proceeds benefit the Preservation Society of Newport County and we're celebrating these homes as they were you know, made to be used, you know, for entertainment, for people to enjoy them. And this is just the best possible way of showcasing those houses and having those proceeds make sure that they'll be around for the next generation. So everything goes towards historical conservation, preservation, their educational programming. And uh, we use three properties throughout the weekend. Uh, Marble House, of course, where we are now is uh, where the grand tasting takes place. Uh, We use the Elms on Saturday evening for the collectible wine dinner and Rosecliff on Friday night for Wine and Rosecliff, which kicks off the festival. Uh, But 
they have 11 properties total and these are some of my favorites uh, but you know it's, it's always great if you can stop and tour some of the other houses too. And that I did. I also visited the Breakers in between events. It was quite impressive. Especially love their kitchen. And Marissa did an amazing job in the festival. For more about her and her company, Plate and Decanter, you can check out my previous episode 62, as she was my guest. Now next, I spoke with a couple of the awesome chefs who are working the event. Here's what they had to say. Yep. What's your name and uh, what's your restaurant in New York City? Uh, I'm Michael Ferraro, executive chef and owner at Delicatessen in New York City. I love Delicatessen. Thank you. What are you cooking here today at uh, Newport? Uh, well, I'm taking advantage of the last bit of summer. So I did a roasted corn bisque with uh, Alaskan king crab leg salad, uh, Alaskan salmon roe, and smoked chili oil. How many years have you participated in Newport? Um, this is my fourth year doing the Mansions one, but uh, I've also done other food and wine events in, uh, in Newport prior, previous to that. So this will be my fifth year in a row in Newport. What do you like about this festival? Um, well, I'm from Connecticut, so I think like this captures like the best look of the Northeast. It's stunningly beautiful. I always say that it reminds me of the 17-mile drive, but on the East Coast, um, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, the people are great. Um, you know, I bring different staff every year because I, I want them to, like, experience the Northeast in this way. I love that you do that. Lastly, where are you looking forward to eating in Newport? I eat at the same place for dinner every year. Every year. Where? Where should I go? <laughs> it's called the Mooring. Um, oh, I was there. Really? Yeah. I had oysters yesterday. It just has that like northeast feel to it. Um, so that's why year after year, you know, I again, I, w I want my staff to kind of like really get the feeling of New England, and uh, you know that really, you're, it's right on the water. Um, and you know, want everybody to have like a real New England lobster, and you know, take advantage of the beautiful seafood here. So I go a lot for the atmosphere, and the food's really good. It's consistent year after year. I had their seafood donuts. Yeah. They're like little fritters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was fun, <laughs> but great, great ambiance. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. So tell me your name and your restaurant. So I'm Justin Walker, out. executive chef of Earth uh, Restaurant Hidden Pond in Kennebunkport, Maine. And how many times, or is, when have you, how, is this your first time doing this festival? This is our second time, and uh, it's a great event. It's a uh, uh, you know, great group of uh, sommeliers and restaurants and food purveyors, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fun day. Beautiful in the sun, sure. What are you preparing today? Today we're doing two dishes. Uh, one is a, a wood-fired wood broccoli with uh, yellow tomato curry and chamomile yogurt. And the other dish is uh, pork belly with um, Brussels sprout kimchi and uh, Maine kelp. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, what restaurant or restaurants do you look forward to visiting in Newport? My favorite restaurant in Newport is uh, Tallulah. Uh, a friend of mine, Jake Rojas, is the chef, and I think he's uh, extremely talented, and uh, his dishes are flavorful, thoughtful, beautiful, and, um, and just really well executed and delicious. Awesome, and I love your restaurant. Yeah, thank you very much. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
Thank God for iPhones, right? Can I tell you when we started off? Yes. Oh. <laughs> started off. Who, uh, who are you? I'm JJ Johnson, the executive chef of the Cecil and Minton's in Harlem, New York. Fabulous. And what are you cooking here at Newport? I'm cooking here at Newport Food and Wine Festival, lightly roasted scallops, red curry butternut squash puree, beanie seed dressing with a cassava chip. Is this something you do at the restaurant? No, some components of what we do at the restaurant, but I thought it'd be good for Newport. Really nice local scallops, uh, butternut squash is coming in season, um, cassava chips, one of my favorite things, so I figured I'd throw that on there for a little crunch, so it's all going well together. I had it. It's quite tasty. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, how many times, or is this your first time doing Newport, or, or uh, how many times have you been out here? My first time doing Newport. Oh, okay. Me too. So, uh, what do you think? I love it. I breathe fresh air. I'm around really nice people. Get to cook some really good food and have fun in this small little town. So, it's good. Do you have anywhere on your list of places to try restaurants? Um, my team that I brought out here, they want to eat some really nice local seafood. So, I think we're going to get some oysters and clams tonight and eat some lobsters. I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to go, but... All right. I think that's what we're going to do. Sounds awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So as you can see, seafood was a theme and everyone was loving Newport. The ambiance was beautiful. The whole festival was very well executed. Many thanks to Marissa Ain and her team, to Michael Ferrero, Justin Walker and his wife Danielle, and J.J. Johnson. Also, shout-outs to Ben Pollinger, the Robicellis, Jacques Torres, Jonathan Pogish, Julie Lerner, Sal Rizzo, Antonio Lopresto, Claudine and Jacques Pepin and Martha Stewart, who were all at the festival. It was a lovely weekend. I'd be happy to return any time. For more information, go to newportmansions.org. And that's my All in the Industry on the Road report. Now we're going to take one more short break. Come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is at Peter Luger's. I'm keeping with the burger theme. Here's the rundown. Location, 178 Broadway in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. The concept, iconic steakhouse. The owners, the Foreman family. Why did I go? Because I wanted to try this legendary restaurant's burger. My experience. I arrived for a late lunch on a recent Friday afternoon and grabbed a seat at the bar. The bartender got my drink, the server took my order, and I was soon in burger heaven. What did I get? A cheeseburger cooked medium rare with bacon and fries, and a club soda. My take. It lived up to the hype. The burger was juicy and perfectly cooked. The bacon was thick, crispy, and delicious. 
I needed a nap afterwards as I had a major food coma, but I wasn't able to take one. The scene. Tourists. Tourists. Perfect for meat lovers. Interesting tidbit. Peter Luger's opened in 1887, has been named the best steakhouse in New York City by Zagat for over 30 years in a row. It still accepts cash only or debit cards, and the burger is only available at lunch. Personal fun fact. I had been to the steakhouse institution once before during the winter on a snowy eve, and it was worth the trip. The cost, $31, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? For sure. Website, peterlugert.com. So, Jamie, what's your take on Peter Luger? <laughs> they make a phenomenal burger. They, from what I'm told, they use the, uh, the different uh, scraps from their uh, steaks and they put in the burger. And one thing to note, they only serve it for lunch. Yes, yes. That's why I went. I have a client down the down the block streets, and I was having dinner there. So I went for lunch earlier, and I really, I really wanted to go home and take a nap after. <laughs> it, it's a it's, it's a phenomenal burger, and yes, the unfortunate part is it's lunchtime, and when you want to take a nap afterwards, yeah, it doesn't was, lend itself to it. It was excellent, though, and just to mention, now we do you remember when we initially met? I think we met at the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. Yes, we did. I don't know what year it was, but it was probably about four or five. Now, and you are now sponsoring the event. Yeah, I started going down there about six or seven years ago and saw this wonderful event and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, to become the sponsor. Now, last year, we are sponsoring again this year, and uh, the goal is to sponsor this great event for the foreseeable future. Cool. I will be down there. You have to come by the booth then. I will. Maybe. Uh, all in the industry on the road, South Beach, my second edition. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay. So it's time for the final question. Now, next week, I'm having on Chris Cannon. He's the owner of Jockey Hollow Bar and Kitchen in Morristown, New Jersey. He's a very well-known restaurateur. Excited to talk with him. So, Jamie, what shall I ask him? So... What are the biggest challenges facing uh, a restaurant today with um, more of the millennial generation or more technology, technologically savvy restaurant tour coming to his uh, his establishment? Okay, good to know. I will ask. Going back to back with Jersey here. <laughs> yes, uh, Jersey. Look, I grew up in Jersey. We're Jersey strong here. Uh, no, it's great. Okay, well. That is the show. So thank you so much for coming out here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to interview and, uh, and ask me some really great questions. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. So I've been speaking with Jamie Schweid, Executive Vice President of Schweid & Sons, a fourth-generation meat purveyor specifically of burgers. Their website is schweidandsons.com. You can find them on Twitter at Schweid and Sons and at jschweid56. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website's BayerPublicRelations.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on Stitcher and iTunes, so you can listen to us as podcasts anytime. Thanks to Jamie, his lovely publicist, Jiwan Park, to my engineers, Jack and Liz, and to Julie Lerner, who's my friend who's been sitting in today. She's going to be working with me on sponsorships for my show, which I'm super excited about. So stay tuned for more information. 
I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.